This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the Internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome back to our Internet discussion with John Hoffaker, the managing director of Alex Partners, also with Alex Ortolani from Bloomberg and Tom Walsh from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, John, Alex Partners, of course, specializes in turning companies around. Right. I imagine you guys have got some very good business going these days, particularly with suppliers. What's typical of these suppliers that come to you? What, what are the things that you see? What typically are the kinds of things that you get them concentrating on to turn themselves around? Yeah, two things I'd mention with that is, one, probably half the business that my group does is with very healthy companies, some of the strongest in the 25%. I would say the people who come to us normally are those who are a bit paranoid, as I would call it. And some of the best companies in the world, most profitable companies in the world, are the most paranoid. And they stay on the top because they are that way. And so we have a very good business. With so they're what attacking I, problems before the problems show up. Exactly. And that's obviously the best way everybody should do it. Unfortunately, some people wait till it's too late. They're a bit down in the funnel. And it's even harder to do at that point. But where do they go when they come to us? It's a set of things. One is, if their financials are in problem, their debt structure is in a bad place, we have folks who work with that and help them basically restructure their balance sheet. From an operations side in automotive, there's three or four major levers that you're pulling. You have cost structure and purchase parts. That's usually half plus of the cost of any supplier. Could be steel, could be chemicals, could be lots of pieces that they're buying, but you got to attack purchasing. Second is in the manufacturing side and being able to make sure I have the right number of plants in the right places, as lean as we can have them. Third place is engineering. If you engineer these products to make sure it takes less people uh, to produce them, less material to uh, create them, that's all very positive. And the last place is just sales and the marketing side. But those are the places and about in that priority. We've seen a lot of suppliers uh, amend loan covenants, but I continue to hear that uh, lending is, is not picking up, that banks just aren't giving money or lenders aren't interested. Is that what you're seeing? And is that a problem for, for some of your clients or maybe some of the smaller suppliers? Yeah, every one of the suppliers, many of the suppliers out there with a current balance sheet that's bad, with worries out there, the risk reward is very different than what it was before, and it is tough. There is lending being done out there, but you've seen the number of bankruptcies and liquidations accelerate over the last couple of years, and it hasn't slowed. In Europe, even, we had 33 uh, bankruptcies in the last seven months there, basically one a week. And so it's not just here either. It's also in Europe where we're seeing a challenge. And so credit to your point is still very difficult to get. And when we've had these swings, using the U.S. as an example, where we had production down so low and now we're ramping up, cash becomes a real difficult piece. Because if you're on a payment cycle with the OEMs of 60 days or 45 days, I've got 45 days of inventory to build before I get paid for that first unit I have. That's all cash that I have to have to create it. When you cut down production, in fact, you create cash because you're basically bleeding down your inventory. You're not putting, buying new material. You don't have the people working. And so one of the real challenges that we're seeing right now is a number of suppliers who, frankly, are getting more orders, and they have to have the cash to be able to build that inventory. It's almost the exact opposite of what you think, and many of them are struggling getting the financing. Now, Ron Bloom, who was also in Traverse City, uh, raised, you know, when, when asked about the supplier issues, says, 
we really don't, the, the government really doesn't want to funnel more money directly into the suppliers and, and cited the case of Lear and, and others being able to get dip financing now that the, that the regular market is working, that the industry still needs to go through consolidation right. of the supply base, and that we should just let that work as long as there is money for debtor and possession financing available that the government is at. Do you think he's right about that? I think he's right. And he said two things in that. One is is that the healthy ones will get the the healthier ones or ones with a a realistic business case going forward, business going forward, will get it. The reality is, as he said, we need consolidation. Consolidation means some of them are going to go away. And naturally, that is a part of globalization and what we're going to see. The positive is we always focus on those going away. But the positive side is someone's taking that business. And many times it is some of the strong suppliers out there. The Borg Warners, the Magnus, Eaton has strength in it, Johnson Control and others are having good growth as an example in this market and you've got to support them. If all you do is take a bad supplier, give them more money and put them back in, that problem with capacity utilization has. You haven't taken any capacity out. If naturally that capacity wasn't needed, we had oversupply of an interior part, a stamping, an injection molding, whatever it may be, until you get that capacity out of the system, everybody's going to be hurting at some level and point, and those people will probably find themselves out of bankruptcy and then in bankruptcy again. So, can the good ones get it, or the ones with a viable business plan? Absolutely. But we are still going to see the consolidation and people falling by the wayside. John, one of the things that you mentioned in terms of turning a company around is really getting focused on their purchasing. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me one of the things that's gotten the the Detroit Three into so much trouble Mm -hmm. is the way that they treat their suppliers. Uh, they, they treat them as, you know, an easy shopping cart to go and get the lowest prices. Whereas if you look at the more successful car companies, suppliers are involved very early right. in, the, in the planning and developing of a car, and they carry that through the life cycle of the vehicle, which is how you can really take cost out Absolutely. of a vehicle. So how do you reconcile saying you got to go after your suppliers and versus you got to have them as, right. as part of your long-term partners. Yeah, from my standpoint, what I talked about is getting material costs down. I absolutely agree with you. If you have a purchasing department or a company that 95 or 90% of your cost structure comes out of negotiations and 5 or 10 comes out of value engineering, you've got a problem. What you want to see is those numbers basically converge and even go to the opposite side. A very healthy manager, whether it's OEM or supplier, is seeing 50-50 or even to the point where I'm getting more cost out because I've re-engineered the product with less mass, with less metal, in a different way as an example. I've worked with different value, VAVE, value-added, value-engineering techniques to be able to take cost structure out of how I manufacture it, the capital I need to produce it, whatever, and that's a place to do it. If you engineer it and then try to take the cost out later, it's always going to be a losing battle over time. What you need to do is push it up on that. And so the material cost is a big portion. The way to get it is exactly as you say. Try to get it away from pure negotiation and try to get it more and more partnership and moving it to the point where I'm getting the cost out up front. Does that take away some of the bargaining that, that uh, particularly the U.S. OEMs have, have done for years? I mean, are they really serious about shrinking the supply base? 
I think each one of them, if you take a look at different segments of the supply base and you look at tires or uh, air conditioning systems or diesel system, diesel powertrain, every one of them has different characteristics. Stampers, small simple stamping, simple injection molding. You have to look at the supply base uh, really at a very granular level. Some of them are already almost as fully consolidated as they're going to get. In fact, if anything, we could probably use another competitor or two in it. The real problem areas have been where you've been seeing many of the bankruptcies as an example. It's casters. It's stampers, it's some plastic injection molding people. It's people where, when you went, and I, if I'm a supplier, when I go to the customer and there's 10 different competitors of mine there, there's always going to be one who's going to give a lower bid than me because they've got that marginal capacity they're going to price with that's not yep. going to make sense long term. And what you need is a handful of suppliers for each OEM in those areas. And where the consolidation really needs to happen is not in every area, because some of them have consolidated down. But in those areas, if you're a supplier and you look around and you've got six, seven, eight, nine, ten competitors who legitimately can produce what you can produce, you better find a way to either dramatically differentiate yourself from a cost structure standpoint or find a different way to make your product that makes it unique in some way or find a way to exit the business, frankly, because you're not going to be in that business long haul making any money. What's your outlook then for the U.S. market in particular, U.S. auto industry, I mean? Uh, we've taken all this, this cost out. Uh, looks like if we're to believe what GM, Ford, and Chrysler say, they can break even yep. on a EBITDA basis at least at a 10 million market. Right. Looks to me that we get any uptick here, these guys could be obscenely profitable. I think both on the OEM side and the healthy supplier side, you will see when the volumes come back, you will see significant profits being made in it because they, they, they took such hard tasks to get to where they did. So many of them had to do many difficult decisions, but those folks that are remaining now are part of a healthy company that probably has good longevity to it. And I do actually think that many of them that you see out there, you're going to be surprised in the third, fourth quarter, are going to show better earnings than what most people expect them to be, That the top ones. Again, they saw better in 08 than they did in 07, as an example. It's not going to be as good as 08 but it's going to be a lot better than many people expect. But again, you have to look at the individual companies. Some are just going to fall off the edge because they don't have the cash. Cash is king in this market. Queen, Prince, all of it. <laughs> you have cash, the royal you have power, exactly. <laughs> and in a sense, getting that strong balance sheet, if you have that and you balance that with strong operational skills, purchasing, engineering, manufacturing, your sales marketing, pricing discipline, Boy, I think this is still a great market to be in. If in addition to that, you have the ability to work around the world. Most all of the incremental growth in the world is coming from 50% of it's from China, but then if you add in Brazil, Russia, India, that's a huge portion of the incremental growth. One of the real interesting challenges, I think, for suppliers in the coming years is going to be, we talked about how cars are probably going to be bought smaller, Typically, those have been lower profit vehicles. Secondly, we're seeing that people are, in fact, moving to where low cost in emerging markets where all the growth is, is becoming more interesting. So vehicles like Tata's Nano, which is a 
two, three thousand dollar vehicle. If it gets to Western, it may be three, four, five thousand. But how do you make the same amount of money on a part that costs a fifth the amount? Because if I'm going from a $25,000 vehicle where I put in a seat, an alternator, a starter, a powertrain, or whatever, and I have to now make that for a $5,000 vehicle, how do I make money when I've got to take part cost out by a fifth? And so those two trends will be very interesting to watch. The leaders in it, and that's where it's great. If you can find a way to create value where you're not creating a $100 part, but a $20 part, not a $5 part, but a $1 part, the world is there for you. Because a lot of the new buyers in India, in Russia, in China, in Brazil, are not gonna have $25,000 or $20,000 vehicles. They're gonna have $2,500, $5,000, $7,500 vehicles. And if you can figure that math out, you will have a great market for you, a very high growth market, in fact, if you look around the world. In fact, you just gave me a great topic to do a whole show on, is how do you do those kinds of right. low-cost parts? But this is a good place to wrap up. John Hoffaker from Alex Partners, thanks so much for coming in on AutoLine Detroit. Thanks. Alex Ortolani from Bloomberg and thanks. Tom Walsh from the Detroit Free Press, thank you guys too. Thanks, John. Thank all you who tuned in on the web.